So much of what gender is and gender roles is imposed, and I do mean imposed on us by outside forces. And part of growing to adulthood is realizing where your agency is. And trust me, in America today, women have just been told by the Supreme Court ahead of the game that we don't have agency, that we do not have sovereignty over our bodies, and that we are our husbands and our boyfriends and male society's possessions. This is Before It's Too Late. I'm your host, Christian Suzelm. Let's learn together what matters most in life. Before we get to introduce our today's guest, I would like to let all my loyal listeners and steadily growing subscribers know that we will be taking a creative break with this podcast. Recently, I was lucky enough to get invited to co-creating an artwork, and this will require my full attention. Since such a project has always been my dream, I'm thanking you for your understanding and for your loyalty. Please stay sub subscribed. We will be back as soon as possible. So, in the last episode, before our creative break, we are speaking with truly amazing and wise Scotty Jeanette Madden. I was absolutely moved throughout our entire conversation by the clarity, profoundness and urgency with which she's talking about the circumstances of her life as a transgender woman. These circumstances are existential as trans transgender humans, especially black transgender humans, are being oppressed and even killed in today's America. There's an active push to eliminate us in this country, Scotty says. She's sharing with us her story, how much she suffered from having had no one to go to and no one to understand, and how hopeless she felt before she came out at about 20 years into her marriage with her wife, Marcy. And how they, after Scotty's transition, managed to build their love on new truthful grounds. When I was trying to understand the reasons behind why her community is so unwanted, she says, I can't understand why they are so blind. I stand in front of you. I am a woman. And I don't understand why I don't have the agency to declare that myself. Rising more and more above, Scotty has some wise thoughts around those who fight transgender humans with so much energy, even though this com community is so small. And then she takes my favorite perspective, the deathbed perspective. In the end, she says, they will be confronted with their own hatefulness. Maybe then they will see. The real cost in all of this is the cost of our own souls, she declares. Please welcome Scotty Jeanette Madden in this powerful conversation on Before It's Too Late today. Hello, Scotty Jeanette. Welcome to Before It's Too Late. Hello, Christiane. Thanks for having me on again. <laughs> again, yes, Scotty. <laughs> yes, we had a first round where we had some technical issues. So now we have our second round, which normally proves to be even better. 
right? Yes. Well, let's just call that one a rehearsal and this is the real deal. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Scotty, you are this amazing human being really with a very intense life and a very intense experience navigating gender roles and expectations throughout your life. You gave this really, really moving TED Talk a couple of years ago where you told your story. And I would really appreciate if you could share your story again of how you became who you are, wonderful Scotty Jeanette Madden, because it was been quite a journey, right? Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to kind of do this in a way that because I do so much speaking and advocacy on behalf of my siblings, I always give this disclaimer. Number one, this is just my story. And though I share several parallels with my siblings, both the good and the bad, please just regard this as just one woman's perspective. I'm not, I'm not speaking on behalf of the entire community. I advocate for the community in, in any chance I get, but we all have our own stories. We all have our own journeys. No two are alike. In my case, I always get asked, like, at what age did you know that you were transgender? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I never knew that I was transgender. That's a, a relatively modern term. And fair disclosure, I'm going to have my second 30th birthday this July. Wow. I say that because I'm going through my second puberty, so I'm entitled to have to have a redo and a start over of the, of the talk. <laughs> wow. So I didn't ever know that I was transgender. And in my case, I only knew that if I acted in a feminine way, which I didn't think it was feminine in any way, it was just I was started to real know from somebody hurting me that if I did things that cause this person to get upset with me and they would say out loud, stop acting like a sissy. If I did that, I would get hurt. If I didn't do that, I didn't get hurt. Was that also in your childhood? Would you, would you share? I, that's when I was the age of, I was four years old, four years old. And this was a family friend. It wasn't even my, my, my parents. The fear was put into me by this person that my parents would be even more upset if they knew what was going on which in retrospect is complete horse pucky. My parents loved me and I was the firstborn. I had a kind of a, I won't say special because I think my parents loved each of us. There are four girls in my family. I think my parents loved each of us in our own ways, in special individual ways. So, you know, what I got was different from my sister Kimberly because she was regarded as Kimberly and Carrie Jean was regarded as Carrie Jean and and Shanna was regarded as Shanna. So it wasn't special. It was just unique to each of us. But I was seen as the chip off the old block. I was seen as my father's son. And my father was a very charismatic man, as I say in my TED Talk. And people really looked up to him. And this person who was doing this to me really looked up to my dad even more so than his own father. And and so he thought he was protecting him. And that is not an excuse. That's actually an accusation. <laughs> I'm not getting, letting him off the hook at all. Because so much of what gender is and gender roles is imposed. And I do mean imposed on us by outside forces. 
And part of growing to adulthood is realizing where your agency is. And trust me, in America today, women have just been told by the Supreme Court ahead of the game that we don't have agency, that we do not have sovereignty over our bodies, and that we are our husband's and our boyfriend's and male society's possessions with which they can tell us what to do. There's no other two ways about that. All the pro-life people, you can go suck it because that's what this says. This says we do not have agency over our own bodies. So that it stems from there. And this stemmed from me as a four-year-old. So I grew like any other normal child would be under my parents' love. And I developed likes and dislikes. But the likes that when I, I got props for acting like a boy... I was, my parents didn't understand my artistic and creative inclinations, but they at least supported them. My father constantly said how mystified he was by my stuff. And my father was an incredibly creative person, but he was a car salesman. You know, he, I say he, he was a bare knuckle creative person because he had to feed us every day with his mind. Basically, he was a car salesman and a and a bartender. And sometimes he fed us with his pool cue. You know, he was a hustler. He was a kid from the streets of Brooklyn, you know, in the 50s. And and he, we did, I never knew that we needed anything. His love was undeniable. My mother's love was undeniable for me. But what happens along the way, the difference between a trans child and a cis child, is if their identity is not recognized and nurtured. And in fact, we're read, kids are sponges, right? We have our senses are going in 360 degrees. So we sense even what isn't there, what adults think they're hiding, we're picking up, right? So, yeah, you know, so I realized quickly that nobody wanted to know what was starting to blossom inside of me, which was my femininity. And I did really well in sports and sports is a very, has a very militaristic I don't want to use the word toxic because toxic is overused these days, but it is very rough and harsh. The rougher boys and the harsher boys flourish and the boys that don't adhere to that don't flourish. And I wanted to excel in virtually everything I was doing. So I learned how to channel what they were doing to make it look like I was doing it, but I wasn't doing it because I wasn't there. I didn't like, I played football for 14 years. I was, I had scouts in the stands looking at me to potentially go to college, but I hated getting hit. I hated it. Like it, it was just, it scared me every time. And, you know, so I learned to run faster and, and to dodge quicker so I wouldn't get hurt, you know? And, but that's me trying to navigate the world and, and trying to get it all together. But it was not helping. The more that I tamped down what was going on inside of me, the more insane it got. Gender dysphoria is no joke. And that's kind of the subject of my TED Talk. I won't go into it too much here. The TED Talk's there. And I say it way better that way <laughs> in that. But the bottom line is that the, it becomes really detrimental. And I say this to anybody who's in the trans community, but out, not out of the closet. It exacts a toll. Gender dysphoria and the coping mechanisms that you use to try to deal with it really, really start to erode your psyche and your, your mental health. And suicidal ideation is a really real factor in our community. And it has everything to do with acceptance 
And, you know, people think, well, it's because you're, you can't, <laughs> there's an incongruence in your life, which I love that word. You know, it's like, it sounds so sweet and warm, but it's horrifying. And when you feel like there's nowhere to go and no one will understand and that, you know, people will try to literally kill you if you come out, then you really do feel hopeless. There's an active push right now to eliminate us in this country. There's over 260 bills, 260 plus pieces of legislature across our country designed to eliminate us. And that's just mind numbing. And I'm an adult who can protect herself because I'm tough and I've fortunately got the means but there are some that have are completely vulnerable when they walk out in the world and just look at us. We're, we have higher rates of murder against our community and mostly trans women of color. They have the highest rates of murders, murder, and specifically for that. And not, they weren't swept up in some collateral damage. It wasn't an accident. Somebody said, you're transgender, therefore I'm going to murder you. That's a real thing. So we are one of the most vulnerable populations, and but we're also one of the smallest, which is so weird that there's so much energy against this, against this tiny, tiny portion of our population has all of this energy designed to mobilize forces of evil against us, which is, and I'm not being using hyperbole here. There's people who want to make the caring for us a felony. That's in Alabama. That was just done. It's a felony for a doctor to uh, give gender-affirming care to a young person in Alabama. Thank you, Alabama. You can go now. So this is the world that I grew up in, but it wasn't overt. So I knew not to say it out loud, but I didn't have anywhere to go, and I didn't have anything to say about it. I didn't. Know, I didn't have language. We didn't have. You know, I didn't learn the word transsexual, which is what was being used back then until the late seventies early 80s when Dr. Renee, Bake, uh, Renee Richards wanted to play tennis on the women's tennis circuit. And she was reviled. She was the, a late night TV comedian's joke. It was dis disheartening and horrifying how she was treated publicly because she just wanted to be herself and play tennis. And so I knew that, like, is, is that what's ahead for me? I never thought I was going to ever come out. I didn't know what to, how to come out. I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't know if that really was me. All I knew was I would have to deal with this force that was both inside of me and outside of me called the hijacker, which was my name for what has now be called gender dysphoria. Oof. Scotty, how old were you when you were asking yourself all these questions? You know, it's funny. I wasn't asking my, these questions. It was like, here comes that feeling again. If I do anything about it, or ask anybody about it, or let anybody know that I'm feeling it, I will get hurt for doing it. So I'm not going to do that. So I just would feel it come up and I would push it back down and I would be able to keep it down for about 28 days. Oh <laughs> my God. So mind blowing to me when I like look back on it. I'm like, Oh, that's weird. And I've never heard anybody else talk about that, but I, that's about how long it took. And then it would, then I would lose control of it for three to four days. And I would walk around like, with this hurricane of emotions and loathing and fear and just really wild, intense feelings. It was like the way I describe it. It's like, if you 
could light glass on fire and then throw it into a hurricane and then stand in it. That's what it felt like. I mean, I had white hot needles that were just, my skin would just erupt in this because I was trying so hard to keep the stuff in that it would try to get out and it would literally become physical at that point. And I would take three or four days of like, just, you know, the very last hanging on by my fingernails. And then I could finally get my hands around it to, to stop it again. And then I would feel for about a week after that of just like, like you, it got to you again. It took over your, yourself for a couple of days. You're a terrible person. You can't do this. You must be going crazy. Like you can't handle this. And then I would be able to figure that out. And then I would have two weeks of like kind of normal thoughts where it was only there, like right outside of my, it was like having somebody constantly whispering in your ear that you are a woman but you can't be one you are a woman but you will never be one and so i would have to like go yeah okay i know but i've got some i've got to do my homework i've got to do my stuff my mom wants me to wash the dishes like you, you know and this is still constantly biting at you the whole time it never ever ever ends and then the cycle would start over again that lasted for well into my adult years i never did anything about it except for try to hold on and then at about 20 years into my marriage, happiest marriage on the planet. We've made five couples go and get married because our marriage was going so well. It just came out of my mouth one morning to my spouse, Marcy. And then we couldn't put it back in the bottle again. And, and she thought when I said, I blurted out, I'm a woman, she heard, I'm leaving you. And that was the hardest thing for us to get over because I didn't know that that's what she heard. I just heard her reactions and defense and offense. And she tried to have me cured. And she, you know, was in love with me and thought that I was in pain and losing my mind. And so she was, you know, she had all of the things that everybody else had ever had about this subject because all that gets reported is the cisgender perspective. Our world is the people who control the narrative of what information gets talked about and then re-talked about because that's how media works is people talk about what people are talking about and that's supposed to be make it right well it's always someone else's perspective that has not, no one ever asked a transgender person hey what's going on so marcy had to figure that out on her own and luckily she her superhuman power was being in love and knowing what love was and so she realized that she was in love with me, not a body or a gender. She was in love with me and I was in love with her. So we use that handrail to lead us out of the darkness and redefine our marriage. And then that's when my transition really began. We lived with this for five years. It never went outside of our house. I didn't do anything about it. It's not like I was sitting at home dressing up or anything. It was like, we just knew that this was something we had to deal with, and we did. Only then did we start my real transition, which was all the outside physical parts, but the inside parts is really what's going on. I can't even imagine when I'm listening to you, Scotty. So if there is a de definition of true love, then I think your story and your marriage and your love story with your wife is... The one, the definition, I mean. Scotty, what do you think triggers 
in those who want to fight the transgender community and eliminate the community. What's going on there? Why is that? Especially since you are such a small community, as you said. What is it that bothers so much, especially in a country that stands for liberal values and freedom? Well, Christian, if we can solve this one, we will get the Nobel Prize. I would just try to understand. I want to yeah, understand. I, I, yes, I'm with you. I'm, I'm as confused. I can tell you that there's a couple of things that I've observed. And I feel like because I am a professional person in the media and have been for over 35 years, <laughs> I went to school when I was 18 and I started making professional television while I was in college. I don't want to do the math, but it's far beyond that. So you know what? I do have a right to say, to say my observations, especially since I get paid for it. A couple of things. One thing that is very true is that if you raise the specter of a man in a dress, you will receive money from people to eliminate that irrational and completely fabricated fear. And this has happened all throughout the South Christian churches. Anytime anybody says this, they will get money. So it's really disingenuous because I really feel that there are some people who don't, there's absolutely no reason that justifies the amount of energy and time and money that's being spent on debating the elimination of my community for the amount of problems created. First of all, we don't create problems. All of the people that are worried about transgender women taking over women's sports. Again, first of all, women wake, need to wake up and realize how misogynistic that thought is, that they need protection. Ask Megan Rapino if she needs protection. She's the first one to say, I don't need your help. We don't need your help. Get out of our sports, right? So they don't need to be protected from men who are, if you think for a moment that a person would go through transition just so they can finally win at swimming or running because now they don't have to compete against the big, strong, better men, then you need your head examined. There's no reason why you should have the ability to vote because you're too stupid to understand how lame that is. We This transition is so incredibly difficult and arduous. The only people who could have the stomach to do this are the people who could do it, which is me. I'm a woman that was married, put into a man's body. So the only way I have passion and the the stamina to go through with this is because it's right and true. If you think for a moment you could just try it, come walk in my shoes for two days. You won't last. You just won't last. It's just it's too arduous. There's too much there's too much there's just it's too much. You can't just like decide to do this to somehow gain an unfair advantage. So that's ridiculous that anybody would believe that that's true, but too many people do, which is why all of those laws are passing. Okay, so that's number one. Uh, sorry, that's number two. I was on number two. <laughs> number three, I think, and I'm only now starting to wake up to this, that the queer community 
of the 70s really started to understand that the people who screamed the loudest about how bad we were were the people who were closeted one of us. And they did not know how to deal with it. And they had so much self-loathing and so much internalized homophobia that they couldn't address that in themselves. So they sought to eliminate it outside, thinking that it might eliminate it on the inside. So it's the old Shakespearean me thinks they doth protest too much. And I never believed that. I never thought it could be true. And now I'm really starting to wonder. You think that if you can stamp it out in the world, it'll go away. Why else would someone who purports to be courageous and strong and morally right pick on the most vulnerable of communities? There's no justification for that. There's no rationale to that, right? And the problem, more importantly, I think, bottom line, is when a trans person comes out and is able to stand tall with dignity they are superhuman and we scare people by how we know ourselves we are battlefield tested we have even had to question god and the phrase god doesn't make mistakes is the only truism that gets you through because you go okay wait whoa well so then therefore i am not a mistake because God made me, God put this in me, this drive of like, I have to be the one that's out on the front lines of actually doing this. Some people never look at themselves ever because they're afraid of what they'll find. We have looked at ourselves, have figured it out that despite all, including physiology of our bodies, we've had to go, I am a woman. I was born with some things that women don't normally have, and that does not matter because it doesn't it didn't make me being a woman go away. So then, therefore, I better do something about this. And when we can be strong enough to do that, that's horrifying if you've never done that. And if you see that, you go, well, then that person is superhuman and I'm not because I don't have the courage to do that. So I'm going to try to eliminate the superhero because then I won't have to be a superhero anymore. Then I can go back to being my small self. And I think we do that when we're around people because we have had to go on this journey that they will can't even dream of going on and never would do themselves. But those are all superficial things, Christiane. I, to answer your question, I am utterly confused. And that's why I, I have to be careful because I am starting to sometimes do what I'm terrified that they're doing to us, which is I'm dehumanizing them because I can't understand how they could be so blind. I'm standing right in front of you. I'm a woman. And you're trying to tell me that I don't have the agency to declare that myself. I think people are afraid that someone would do that to them, so they do it first. I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm at a loss. I, those are my observations. It doesn't solve why people want to kill my, especially my black trans siblings. Why would it inspire to like anger, murder, and then the justification that it's okay? And they did, they get that. You know, the whole reason why we have Transgender Day of Remembrance. Normally, when a trans woman is killed, 
she gets dead named and misgendered in the police report. And the police decide, well, it's really not worth going after because she brought this on herself, or actually he brought this on himself. So they're completely disrespected in death and by the people who are supposed to be protecting us. We had three women who were walking on the street in Hollywood in 2020, and they were assaulted on Instagram Live. The assaulters were showing how they were assaulting these three trans women, and the people on Hollywood Boulevard were laughing at the trans women getting assaulted. So there's nobody there to help. The police didn't follow up on it. It finally took the outrage of the community here to get the the L.A. Sheriff's Office to even look into it. And these guys had it on Instagram. So it was not going to be hard to find who did this. But everybody was so happy to laugh at these three trans women getting assaulted. So what is going on there? Why do we do that? Where are the moral people standing up for trans people? How could anybody justify that that is good in any way unless they have done what they did with the black community, which was in the, you know, the, all of the lynching laws, they were, Jim Crow laws were all based on dehumanizing the black community. So then therefore murdering them was not a problem. It was no longer a crime because they're not human. And this is in the playbook of oppression i really don't have words scotty this is a lot and i thought the entire gender equity discussion has really progressed also with with all the possible identities and pronouns etc etc but do you see a chance how to create more understanding for that, this can take the turn towards a more human ground of communication and debating? Well, it takes people like you to ask that question. And it takes people like all of us to stand up. You know, the one thing that was true through the AIDS crisis was silence equals death. Right. So two lessons that we learned through the AIDS crisis, silence equals death and representation matters. So silence equals death is a note to all of the people that are standing around going, well, that's not really my fight. Like the trans population is so small and I've got so many other things to to worry about. Somebody else will take care of that. Right. And that's clearly how oppression works. It works because nobody else who does have agency, who does have a voice at the table to stand up and go, yeah, this is not right anymore. The fact that everybody was able to pass all of these laws and all these state legislatures was crazy, right? It showed that, well, people do believe that trans people are inhuman, that they should be eliminated. That's what that message is sent. So that to create this understanding, it has to be all, well, you have to know it's wrong to oppress anyone in this country. There's no place where that's okay. We even give terrorist bombers a trial with a real lawyer. So we give people who are convicted of murder 
they get a trial with a, they at least get the respect that they are innocent until proven guilty. But it's not trans people. We're going to be killed before we get to the courthouse. So it needs to be that we all stand up and, and just say enough. No, you can't. You can't do this to any human, regardless of your political stripe. Transgender community has been made a political issue. We're not a political issue. Well, there's probably as many Republicans as there are Democrats and independents, just like every other sector of population group in America would be here. We are everything. We are, you know, it's odd, like the latest transgender survey of 2015, which was the last time it was done. There's another one that's coming up. Found out that oddly, there's as many trans women as there are trans men as there were non-binary people. It's a crazy. Like, like, no, it's not crazy. But before it was always thought that the majority of transgender people are transgender women, which is like just crap. It's like it doesn't even make, that doesn't even make sense that someone thought that that was true, right? Because if you look at humans, you will learn that humanity is always all of these different stripes. We're never one monolithic column. The same percentages of how many people are gay and straight is true within the trans community. It's true outside of the trans community. It's true outside of the LGBTQIA plus community. There's so many people that just go, I'm gay, but I don't need to go off and tell everybody what I am because they're a quiet person. That's just, they're a different type of human that's just decided not to play by the rules of everybody else's expectations. They just they're living their life as cis people have been doing. There's a lot of cis hetero people that don't, subscribe to any political party whatsoever, they don't even vote. They just live their life. But what we need is for people who are seeing this happening to stand up and go, hey, enough of this stuff. This is not right. This is not who we are as a country. We don't do that to people here. This is the land of the free, not the free as I am. It's the free as everybody can be. That's what the purpose is. Right. Right. Oh, my God, Scotty, you are making a real urgent call for that. It's really about time to turn back towards humanity in, in all regards. I think we have really, as a society, come very far off the track here. I so appreciate that you speak your truth with an inexhaustible energy and passion because you really deserve to be heard and seen and felt as the human you are, full stop. Is there anything you want to add to today's conversation? I was talking with a friend of mine about this this morning. I have lived in a state of outrage since 2016, a state of outrage and of grief. You know, losing Marcy in 2018, she had battled ovarian cancer for nine years. So the last two years of her life were scary. Oddly, <laughs> since I had been so good at denial <laughs> and coping, I'm only now undoing those firewalls that went up automatically that I only figured out after the fact. But the real cost in all of this is the cost to our own souls. I often say, I can't wait to see these people who are under the banner of Christianity causing real hate. In order to get someone to sign a petition, you have to convince them 
because you're coming at them. They, they were doing their own daily life. They were going this direction. And you said, hey, sign my petition to get rid of transgender people. If In order to do that, you have to maintain a passion for hatred and evil in your heart in order to do that. And then this other person has to accept that into their heart. And then they have to do that. They have to do something about that. If you think for a moment that your Christian God thinks that that's okay, I would almost pay money to watch the denial at the gates of heaven to those people, because it's a sad, it's a sad thing that they willingly did. You're willingly trying to hurt another group of people. There's absolutely zero compassion in that whatsoever. You can see it. You can see the. You can see that happening right now. That's the effort it takes to push a hateful piece of legislation through, even if it's a slam dunk still takes so much darkening of your own personal heart in order to do that. And if you think for a moment that that didn't come with a a cost, then you're even bigger fool than we need you out of the gene pool. However, what's going to happen when you're old and you look back on your life and you go, I held hatred in my heart for so long for these people. And now I'm going to go talk to my God. And I don't have anybody around to help me. Everybody sees what a hateful person I am. That is obvious now, evident. And I'm not so strong because I'm old. That's where my compassion for these people are. Secondly, when you have lived this life of hatred for so long, and you've tried so hard to rewrite history in front of you, like the whole don't say gay, (laughs) when your children grow up, and become 25 and the cerebral cortex fills in, they're no longer having to deal with any of those things anymore and their adult mind starts flourishing, they're going to realize that you tried to suppress them by withholding knowledge and telling them falsehoods about humanity. And that's going to have a price too. Wake up, people. You cannot live your life without this extracting a toll on your heart. And trust me, I'm the queen of denial. I am a black belt at denial. I've used it for 48 years to try to keep myself from flying off the planet in a hurricane of dysphoria. And I know every single one of the games. I know every arrow in that quiver that I used daily to manage my daily life. It broke one day because all of these will break. All of this will break. And you may get through your life hating on people and leave this planet, this plane of existence one day, but it's still going to have a cost. And the cost will be on you and your people. So we have to wake up. We have, we all have to wake up. And I have to, and I'm saying this also out loud for myself, because in this fight for just simple human dignity, but let's keep our sights high for complete equality, which is what we all should be looking for. I have to make sure that I don't become them. I have to make sure that I don't hold evil in my heart for them and disregard or disdain. All of those, they help, they erode your own heart. So I'm waking up to that now, as I said, you know, it's been eight years of outrage and, and grief and grief, but grief taught me that I can't have the outrage because life is too short. And Scotty, let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about withdrawing from the battlefield, like withdrawing 
your energy because we all know where your energy goes. This is in the, in your case where the battle is, right? So have you ever thought about the option to just not put your energy into that fight any longer? <laughs> is that an option? Well, I think about it all the time. I think like, you know, because part of it is the throwing your toys out of the wagon and frustration of like, how are we still here? How come this is worse? How does this get worse every year? How do I, how did I just hear about another woman, trans woman being murdered in Chicago? Five people, five transgender women were murdered in Chicago alone last year. Right. And they have two that were just my sisters were just murdered. there, Right. So I feel like I want to withdraw. I want to just live my life. That's the whole point of transitioning. It's like I was so consumed with trying to not transition, you know, effectively for 48 years of my life consumed by it now i just i'm like when you transition there's this fantasy that no now you get to live your best life it's like you would if it wasn't in america because every toothless redneck out there wants to eliminate you you from the world like literally eliminate like with a gun eliminate you from the world so yes i would love to just pull back and just live my best life however i have also been given by my by the god our god it's god their god goddess in my world it's the goddess by the way the besides this drive to be who i am this compassion for humanity that says that i can't i mean i am privileged as a white woman middle class white woman i've done very well in my career i have a roof over my head i have a little sometimes a little too much food <laughs> Good news, I don't throw it out, but I'm very aware of the gifts that I have. Therefore, I cannot pull back from the fight. I have to fight for those who don't have this. And there's a part of me that wants, that I just can't get over the, the injustice of it. I can't stand by and let this injustice go by. Mm, I can feel you. Scotty, thank you so much for sharing all your deep, deep insights and wisdoms and convictions. And I am very, very sure that the least you could have achieved with today's conversation is that you really make people think with what you said and have created a starting position. That's what I never stop hoping that with these kind of conversations, we keep creating starting positions over and over again to better understand each other and trying to understand, right? And this is why I so thank you for having been my guest today. It's been a very important conversation. And again, there's nothing more powerful than speaking the truth from the deepest place of your heart. And that's what you did today. So thank you so much for sharing all this, Scotty. Be well. Yes, thank you for having me, Christiane. I will. You too. I really enjoyed this profound conversation, and I hope you did too. For more episodes of Before It's Too Late, make sure to subscribe. 
If this episode spoke to you, consider sharing it with a friend or loved one you think might benefit from it. Thank you for listening.